As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Believe. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by Chief Executive Officer of the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation, Nicole Whiteman. Nicole talks about a willingness to take risks, her secret sauce to success, the incredible work of the foundation, and so much more. This episode is really cool and really special, so let's get to it. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me for the Get My Job podcast. I have been so excited to talk to you for so long, so welcome so much to the pod. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am too. I mean, you embody like all my favorite things philanthropy, female empowerment, females in leadership position, and the Dodgers. <laughs> so it's really everything I love all, all at wrapped once. Up in one. uh, all wrapped up at once. Really, you're like my, you're kind of my perfect person. <laughs> you really are. Um, so if you could start, I mean, obviously we know what you do now, but why don't you take us through your professional journey and then we'll really get into it uh, for our viewers who maybe aren't as familiar with you or, or listeners and viewers. Um, we are on YouTube as well, but please, you could start with taking us through your professional journey. Yes, really interesting trajectory. I've actually been in LA for 21 years now, but I'm a native New Yorker. Grew up in New oh. York, high school in Connecticut, college in Atlanta. I went to Spelman College with a goal, honestly, as an econ major to go back to New York and work on Wall Street. I wanted to be an investment banker for life. I did get an opportunity wow. to go back to New York, worked for JP Morgan Chase. And about a year and a half in, quickly realized that while banking is great, it wasn't for me. There was something that was missing. To be totally honest, at the time, I didn't know what it was, but I did the networking that people can do in a city like New York. And I met a lot of people and I ended up getting into publishing. So I worked in the magazine space for two different magazines, Essence Magazine and Black Enterprise Magazine, focused on sponsorship, marketing, and advertising, which was the business coupled with this creative, innovative approach and getting this opportunity to work with advertisers on added value campaigns, traveling. Um, I loved it. And I, I ultimately started to really figure out what worked for me. I moved to LA while working for Black Enterprise Magazine, and I was doing just fine until I met the CEO of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. And she said to me, we're opening up an LA office to go uh, supplement our New York headquarters, and we would love for you to be a part of leadership. I had never thought about being in philanthropy, Tracy, just had never thought about it. The reality is I'm a beneficiary of a lot of nonprofit organizations. And so 
I always saw myself as a volunteer and a supporter versus as an employee. And so I entertained conversations with them for quite some time, but then I was like severely intrigued that it kind of sealed the deal when I realized I would get a chance to tell my story as a former Jackie Robinson scholar and a product of the organization and its mission every single day. And I was like, why would I pass that up? So I went to work for the Jackie Robinson Foundation. I did that for about six years before I got an itch and a recruiter called me. And I wanted to get in on the ground here in LA. I wanted to understand Los Angeles Unified School District and the city in which um, you know, I was raising my own kids now. And so I started to work in public school reform. So I worked for LA's Promise, which is now LA's Promise Fund. Um, okay. as the VP of Development and Communications, and for a short time as their interim executive director. And then I was wooed away to College Summit. And so I went to work for College Summit, a college access and success organization, actually based out of D.C., but I was overseeing the L.A. and San Francisco office. And while I was okay. doing that, totally happy, in my groove, really excited to continue to tell my college story and my success story as someone who had been a beneficiary of similar organizations, and I went to Dodger Stadium one day and I was literally there sort of really helping to like voluntarily consult on an actual event that I had produced while I was at the Jackie Robinson Foundation that they were thinking of bringing back. And next thing you know it, I was interviewing for um, the executive director position for the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation. Renewed energy, new ownership group, new leadership. I hadn't previously met them, but we bonded and sort of clicked right away. And there was this opportunity mm-hmm. that was open and available that, frankly, I didn't know about. Um, and I went for it. And here I am almost 10 years later. See, I told you guys, everybody might have been like, wait, Dodgers too? <laughs> yes, Dodgers too. But it's really an incredible story. And I'd like to go back a little bit, a couple of things to unpack. Here you are, you're in publishing, doing all these creative things, an opportunity arises and it feels like feels like the right opportunity obviously was. It put you into a completely different space, which has been the case for really all of your career moves. And I, I bring that up because something we talk about on this podcast a lot is for young women and, and young men as well who want to get into the sports industry, who want to get into this industry at all, you got to be open. And sometimes something comes your way where you might be like, what? No, but think about it and and be open. And so I'd love for you to talk about just kind of that mindset, because that was a jump from publishing to philanthropy, an incredible jump. And then I want to talk about how your time in publishing has helped you along the way. Yeah, I feel like, Tracy, you hit it on the head. We have to be willing to take risks. And oftentimes women aren't willing to take risks when it comes to um, various careers and especially probably not a career in the sports industry, right? We don't often know that there are so many ways um, to enter. And who knew that I would enter sort of on the philanthropic side of things and get to work with this amazing franchise in such an amazing world, right? Like, I think at the end of the day, um, it is that risk. It is that like willing to take the leap and take the jump and do something different and not being comfortable and complacent. Oftentimes we're like, you know, this is where I belong. This is where they told me I belong. This is what feels good. Um, A lot of people, you know, looked at me like I was crazy when I was skipping from investment banking to publishing, right? I took a significant pay cut and it was like, but I thought that's what you wanted to do. Like Wall Street just sounds so much more, you know, sexy and it's, and it's amazing Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, and lucrative, frankly. And so that jump alone, and then the jump from publishing to, to philanthropy as well was sort of just like, what are you doing? But I feel like I had these like guardian angels in my head that said, like, now's the right time, this is the right decision, Um, whether that was mentors, sponsors, my family, et cetera, um, that that said, take a risk, really take a risk. And I think that that helps, especially as you're thinking about the sports industry, 
There's a lot of different angles. There's a lot of different things to do. And it's forever changing. I would love for you, obviously, I know, but if I would love for you to talk a little bit about, about what the Dodgers Foundation does. And for any of our listeners slash viewers, since I've now made this a TV show, uh, that don't know, you know, the Dodgers Foundation has has won a number of awards. I, I would say probably, in my opinion, uh, the Dodgers Foundations and 49ers Foundations, and I realize those are the two that I'm closest to, so maybe I know them the best, but seem to do the most incredible work of any sports professional sports team foundation of course that is my own bias we do not have to agree or disagree but i i really do believe that's true so if you could just talk about the daughters foundation does because it's a true benefit to the city of los angeles oh thank you tracy i think you should be a tv show but anyhow the daughters foundation (laughs) (laughs) we are focused on addressing some of la's most most pressing problems and so we're tackling homelessness food uh, homelessness health care education and social justice Our work is centered around underserved communities who we think are living in the shadows of Dodger Stadium, right? They might be fans all year long, but they might be people who don't often come to Dodger Stadium for various reasons. So through a social justice lens, we actually run our own programs and we fund programs throughout Los Angeles to get at really leveling the playing field. Um, For us, it's all about equity across the city, across neighborhoods. We believe that regardless of zip code, every Angelino should have an opportunity to thrive. And a lot of that work is done through a youth perspective. We actually think community infrastructure is really important. So we build Dodgers Dream Fields, um, safe spaces, baseball and softball fields throughout our city. And we now have 58. We think that sports-based youth development is really important. And so we have our Dodgers Dream Team program where we get an opportunity to serve 12,000 kids annually and their families not only giving them an opportunity to play baseball and softball, but giving them significant education and health resources with actual basic necessities like food and clothing and hygiene essentials and all of that wrapped into one circle so that we're, we're basically addressing whole child needs. And then also we are giving grants, about 100 different grants to local nonprofit organizations um, annually. We believe there's some amazing grassroots organizations and bigger organizations that are on the ground doing work and we want them. We want them to borrow the Dodger brand, just as we do, to amplify the work that we that they that they are doing to help them achieve their missions. And then, sort of to round it out, the Dodgers Foundation is really, you know, this 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 pillar that uses the Dodger brand to amplify so much that our our amplifying organizations and individuals on the ground through knowledge sharing and convening is a major part of the work that we do. That is, is fantastic. And I was at the, the openings for one of the dream fields and, and full disclosure, uh, my brother is the chairman of the board of foundation. So I might be even like more biased towards the Dodger foundation, it. but I also think that's given me the opportunity to like really see what you guys do yeah. and, and really understand what you guys do. And I went to the opening of one of those dream fields and it was incredible. And it was in, uh, September of 2019, which is so funny. Cause I think about if we knew then we knew now, now. Know. but I'm almost, and maybe in some ways it's, it's good. We did not, but I remember going to the opening of that and it was incredible. And there were Dodgers players there. I want to say Clayton Kershaw was there and you could just see like these kids were so excited and what a difference it made in the community. And it was truly incredible. So it's been fun to see that. And so the Dodgers Foundation to me, and it seems does a lot of innovative work. So going kind of back to what I said earlier, you look at your time in publishing and you were doing all of these creative things, and all this content, kind of how has that helped you to come to philanthropy and a foundation from a different lens? Yes, I think it's so important. People often ask me, you know, should I study nonprofit management? Should I just like focus on that in college? And I actually believe that coming at it from this business lens and from this publishing lens, marketing sponsorship, 
all those things have been, um, this is my melting pot. This is my melting pot of all those experiences. I tell people all the time, running a nonprofit is running a small business. At the end of the day, you are truly focused on operations. You're focused on programming. You're focused on fundraising, right? That's sales, that's product, and that's operations. Like they're one and the same. And so I think it's really important that I come to this experience with the skills that I've come with. We have to do marketing. We have to do advertising. Like all of those things roll up into what a successful nonprofit can be, right? If your back end is, is, is sustainable, um, it makes all the sense and it gives you the ease, frankly, and the efficiency and the comfort to be able to serve the community and do the programs that you want to and support the organizations that you want to. So I feel like those experiences have all lent themselves so nicely to what I'm doing today. Um, again, it, it's like nonprofit leadership. You're talking about even managing a team of people, right? So even my teams that I've worked with and peers from across different jobs that I've had in the past and even... Um, you know, leading various teams in various ways, I bring all of that to this experience. And so I feel like the lens from which the I, I, I've had to approach it, especially innovatively when you think about publishing, it all applies here. And let me tell you, it applies heavily when you are hit with a pandemic and you have to innovate and you have to decide, hey, how do I raise money now and we're not in person? Oh, we're going to do fan cutouts, cardboard cutouts in the seats at Dodger Stadium and we're going to raise millions of dollars, you know? When you have to innovate and adjust and figure out how am I going to serve the people that we've served all year long in person in prior years? I'm going to move to virtual programming. I'm going to do food distributions. And so I think all of my prior experiences, they prepare me to sort of like shift in the moment, pivot in the moment, um, and really just innovate and create accordingly as the business um, requires. And frankly, in this case, as the community needs. Uh, my dogs had cutouts at Dodger Stadium and I just I made me it. so happy. <laughs> and I just kept, I would say to them, because I would watch, especially during the pandemic and there weren't as many games, but also what else were we doing? Like I was watching Dodger games every day, though. Anybody who knows me knows I still watch Dodger games every day, but that's a whole other thing. But I would say to the dogs, I'd be like, you guys, you're there. You could see it happening. Uh, but I thought that was genius. And I thought the pet portion was genius. And that is something that I think was very innovative, but you talked about obviously raising money and raising money during a, a pandemic. And I want to talk about the gala because it's coming up and I, I want people to know about it. But there's a couple ways you guys raise money and there probably may be even ways I don't know about. There is the Dodger Foundation Gala, which I'm going to have you talk about more about. At the stadium, there's the the lottery where you buy a lottery ticket and have, the winner gets half and the foundation gets half. So that's a huge source of fundraising that was gone when no one could go to the stadium but cutouts. You know, was there a point and you probably had to recover from it quickly, but was there a point where you're like, what are we going to do at a time when people need us most, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there was no nonprofit that didn't have that point during the pandemic where you stopped and were just like, what is happening? What are we going to do? Are we, is all of this pivoting and adjusting that we do going to measure up? Is it going to equal up? Are we going to be able to sustain ourselves and keep it moving? The reality is you hit it on the head. The gala and our 50-50 raffle are two largest fundraisers. We do oh, yeah, I call it a lottery. It's a, it's a raffle. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Same thing. Same thing. Um, you know, we have sellers that fans can see throughout the game and literally half the jackpot goes to a lucky winner. And then we keep the other half and we support org local organizations with that money. Um, and so really tough, right? Because you're sitting back now saying, okay, what are we going to do? We also, during games, we do a number of things. We have online auctions. We sell retail items from our home-based kiosk in center field. Um, so we have these in-stadium, you know, one-off sort of pop-up fundraising things every now and then, sometimes silent auctions and buy-now things, autograph memorabilia from players. 
But then in terms of events, in addition to the gala, we do a big run every year. So we have about 12,000 runners come out to Dodger Stadium in, in fall this year. In, in August, uh, August 13th, we're doing our sunset run. Um, we have some smaller events. We partner with Dodgers um, All All Access, which is an event put on by the LA Sports and Entertainment Commission to raise money for the foundation as well. And then we actually write grant proposals and we get dollars from foundations, corporations, and then individuals obviously contribute to us as well. So we raise dollars a number of ways. During the pandemic, we had to really focus in on raising dollars from individuals, corporations, and foundations, people who were really seeing the value of what we were doing and knew that we had doubled down during that time. We were intense in our relief efforts. We were not letting up. Uh, we were showing up for our community. And so we did rely on you know, Dodger fans. We relied on just philanthropists throughout the country, frankly. frankly. Um, corporations you know, stepped up and said, we want to be there with you. And so they supported and donated. And then to the point we made earlier, right, we had to get really creative when it came to things like fan cutouts. Um, interestingly enough, we won a World Series during the pandemic. And so the opportunity to also do a virtual gala and give out um, or auction off World Series rings was also an opportunity for us. So we looked for every opportunity and said, we're going to capture this. And this is going to how we're going to raise money to continue to support local communities. And the virtual gala was amazing. And I know people that became like a little bit of a thing, but it, it was great. And I loved how you took like John and Vinny's would, for those of you who were not there, uh, the Virgin John and Vinny's would drop off, like your, you make your pizza and you, and you, the cocktails and they someone yes. virtually telling you how to make it. And, and it was everybody LA. Like John and Vinny's is a very LA thing and it's become a part of the yeah. city and the community. And that was just, it was brilliant. You had Dave Roberts involved. You had a lot of the players involved on a Zoom on a Friday night. And yes. I, it was it was a very it was a very smart way to do it. And it was still really fun. Uh, but this year. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so I oh my god, I had a blast. I mean, I had an absolute I blast. It. I was like, I do this every Friday. This was amazing. In the pandemic, you get worried, right? It was like February of 2021, and we're like, are people over this Zoom thing? Do they not want to do this fundraiser? Do they not? But we were pleasantly surprised. And to your point, it was about making people feel like safe and trusting and knowing that the Dodger brand, whether we're in stadium or not, we're still wrapping our arms around everyone and encouraging people to give back because a lot of people were really suffering during that time. And, you know, it was cool. It's so funny. It's interesting with the Zoom fatigue, but you guys did in a way that was different. And there's something really cool. You log into a Zoom like as a Dodger fan and there's Dave Roberts is on the Zoom yes. with you and Justin Turner <laughs> is on the Zoom. And it brings it even like more. You really Very feel different. even more connected. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, here we're all we're all like that idea. We're all in this together yes. uh, was really cool. Yes. So that was Agreed. fun. Thank but you, this Rob. year, you're welcome yes. this year. Very excited. Yes. I want you to tell. So excited. I almost broke my pen. Uh, I want you to tell everybody the Foundation Gala back in person, the Blue Diamond Gala. I'll let you announce who's performing. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Yes, we are three and a half weeks away from welcoming 2,500 of our closest friends and family to Dodger Stadium <laughs> for our intimate Blue Diamond Gala um, that kicks off, the night kicks off with a blue carpet um, with celebrity appearances. All of our players, our full roster, our guests enjoy a two-hour pre-party. This year, we have DJ D-Nice actually spinning in our pre-party for two hours. Really excited about that. Dinner, cocktails, flowing bars, everything. And then all of our guests are actually transitioning to center field. And on the field, Jennifer Lopez will perform a concert. Um, we are so excited. Uh, we wanted to come back big. You know, after two years of not having this, um, it's been stressful to say the least, but also just like something has really been missing. 
And so this year, we feel like this is going to be a major reunion. We're very, very excited. Um, people who've come to the, who came, frankly, to the first five when we ended out with Bruno Mars in 2019, everyone's really eager to come back. It's going to be another special night. The concert's going to be amazing. We're going to have a brief program to give people a sense of like who we are, or what we're doing. But then we're even going to have our post party this year in our new million dollar renovated center field, which we hadn't had a chance to take advantage of quite yet. Um, with all of our post party food and DJ Severe, our Dodger DJ performing that as well. So you're talking about 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. The party doesn't stop. I don't even people think people realize how long they're even with us that night because it's just a lot of fun. And you know what's really cool about it? You mentioned the whole roster. And I remember the first one I went to, there was like a fashion show with the roster. Yes, uh, and yes. Alan Black performed. And I, I <laughs> that remember that. And, I, and it was so fun. And everyone got really into it. And that's a cool thing to see, too, because the players love it. And I remember they Bruno Mars. really enjoy you know, the night. It is a night off between two games. And obviously, they are so busy with their 81-game schedule. But... I love that they and their wives, significant others, friends really enjoy the night. They really do. And I remember walking like for the concert with Bruno Mars, just kind of walking to my seat and you could hear players talking like, oh my God, we're going to see Bruno Mars. Like, it, it's great. It's a really, it's a really fun night. So I wanted to uh, definitely plug that. And I also think it's great that the whole roster really does get involved. And yeah. no matter how long they've been, it, guys. it's good. Yeah. You really, you really do. And um, I've noticed that even years of players who were maybe traded mid-season when the when the gal has maybe been a little bit later in the summer and guys who've maybe been there like a couple weeks. I mean, Manny Machado was there. I remember one year and he, I think he'd been on the team a total of like five minutes. Yes. So I thought that was, that was really cool. <laughs> so, yes. so I think they talk it up in the clubhouse enough where no matter what time of season you come in, um, guys are like, you should be there. Yeah. So that's really awesome. Our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So kind of going back a little bit, um, early in your career, it could have been at any of the different places you were, and this is totally switching gears. So just I'm throwing that out there. But when you look back and maybe it was moving from investment making to publishing or making the jump from publishing to philanthropy, and you have to learn kind of whole new skill sets. Was there ever anybody who gave you a piece of criticism? I'm going to ask this in a couple of parts. Either it was constructive criticism and it was very helpful to you, or it was really not constructive criticism and you had to learn who to listen to, who not to listen to, and, and kind of how to differentiate that. I would say mine was constructive criticism. And it was along okay. the lines when I was in publishing of you can't do it alone there's experts around you, use your resources. I kind of had like a put my head down and get the work done mentality. And I think I was like A to Z, every single piece of this assignment belongs to me, is for me. I need to figure it out. This is how I prove myself. Um, and it was in that world that I figured out that th it was about team, that it was really about team, which was very different from the banking industry. It just was. And I've carried this teamwork aspect with me to, to today. 
I enjoy leading teams, creating teams, you know, helping teams grow, all of the above, right? And I love that it's so special. I've been had have had an opportunity to do that at the Dodgers Foundation. I've learned that from that experience, frankly, that I'm just not an expert in everything and that I'm not supposed to be an expert in everything. You can surround yourself with amazing people. You might have people who are already around you that are just amazing and they contribute various things to the pie. And so the best productive way to get the work done is teamwork. And so I'm one of those people who always says teamwork is partnership. Partnership is the secret sauce to success. I feel like it's a secret sauce to my personal success, frankly, and my professional success. You know, when I think about my personal life, it's my family and my friends and mentors and all of those things that help me keep moving. When I think about the day-to-day at work, we don't get it done without a team. We just don't. And when you get it done solo, there's a different feeling. There's a different result. And it's not the same. When I um, when I used to work for the mayor of D.C. and I ended up getting promoted to uh, the director of the Office of Boards and Commissions. Okay. And so that was a, a there's a point to me telling the story. And that was a big jump for me. I had started in like communications and a special assistant. He promoted me with like in six months and I'd never worked in politics. So I say all that because I felt like you, I went, I was like, well, I have to prove to yeah. everybody that I should have this. And I, I knew I should have it, but I, and I, the woman who preceded me in the position, she'd got promoted as well. And she said to me, if you are here, till eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night, there are special cases, there were hearings, all that kind of stuff. But if you're here to eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night, you are micromanaging, you are not using your team properly. And it's actually a detriment to you and to the agency. And it was an interesting thing, because also in my previous positions with him, I worked in communication. So you're kind of, it's in his local government. So it's pretty much like 24 seven. And so I, it was hard for me, it was really hard for me in the beginning to to get to know that, but I got to a point, um, and I find it even now with fangirl, it's my baby, but at the end of the day, there are people that I put in place and I have to let them do their jobs. It doesn't mean I can't step in if I need to, but it's, it's a very hard skill set. And I think for a leader though, it's the most important skill. Yeah. It's the most important and it's super hard, you know, when you are, um, type a, right. And you just want to get it done when you're a product person Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm just driving towards goals all the time. So I'm working on it every day. I'm I'm deliberately and very intentionally working on it every day because there are moments when I slip up and I'm just like, oh gosh, nope, this is not how you're supposed to be doing it. This is not what you're supposed to do. To your point, right? When you get into those deep hours or the weekend and you're just like, wait, 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 I'm doing this wrong. And then I have to revisit that voice in my head that's like, you don't, you can't do this alone. Um, there, there has to be delegation. There has to be leadership. There has to be teamwork. There just has to be contribution from everybody. And I think this brings up another point when you talk about weekends and, and nights and, you know, I cover the San Francisco 49ers. So on Sundays, that's, that is my Sunday, but I try in the off season at six o'clock to really shut it down. Even if, even if I get that email, I'm like, well, I could just handle it. I could also handle tomorrow. That doesn't always work. Yes. It's really hard. And so you've talked about your personal life and partnership being a success and, and finding that, that I guess balance. And I hate that word because it's such a, it's a tough word, but, but I guess it's the best one we got. Um, and understanding that balance isn't going to be balanced perfectly every day. And some weeks are going to be 80, 20 or 30, 70, but how have you found that, uh, especially coming from like investment banking and publishing in, in these different positions, how have you found the ability to do that? And really what tips do you have for the rest of us? <laughs> Man. So I am like, what does balance mean? Balance is such a hard word. <laughs> I feel like you have to make decisions and choices daily. 
on what you're mm-hmm. going to prioritize and what's just not a priority today. And I have to be super intentional about that. You know, as a mother and a wife and then a leader in the professional setting, um, every single day could be completely bonkers if I don't take control of it. Every day could be completely mm-hmm. bonkers if I have not also taken a moment to like re-energize and a moment for myself and I don't think about self-care. What am I, you know, when people always ask the question, what would you tell your younger self? I would tell my younger self to take care of myself because you're no good to anybody else if you don't, right? So for me, balance is actually knowing when I need to stop and literally re-energize. And that could be taking a walk or run. That could be going to the beach. That could be girlfriend time. That could be husband time. That could be kids time. Like I literally have to um, intentionally balance, intentionally make choices to shift as appropriate, right? Like I think, you know, as a mom, you end up realizing like when your kids really need you. And so there's just some things that I've said, hey, these are non-negotiables as far as like professional versus personal are. And so you got to set these boundaries in this weird way. But it's very hard because to your point, I could work all day long, 24-7, 365 days a year if I allowed myself to. Um, but that would be terrible. That'd be terrible for my kids, yeah. my husband, and the whole world, mm-hmm. right? So, and for you, still, and really yeah, for you, it would it be was. terrible. There you go. <laughs> I'm still working on this thing called balance, but I feel really awesome to have people in my life who are just like, you need to stop, or you need to pivot, or you can't do that, or you must not do that, or whatever it might be. To your point, you know, sports is hard. This is an industry where it's moving and things are happening, and especially when you're in season and you're in a season like the baseball season, right? We're doing community work 365 days a week. Our impact is 300, excuse me, 365 days a year. During the season, it's amplified 10 times over because we have this audience to essentially raise more money from, this audience to tell more of our story too. And so we have to take advantage of that. So we're talking about between April and thank goodness, you know, with this amazing team that we have, it could go through November. And so you're very much like, wait a minute, what off season? And so, yes, you have to be intentional in the off season to say, this is when I've got to like slow down, um, you know, pump the brakes just a little bit because I know it's going to come back up and the cycle is going to get crazy again. So it's about kind of like really paying attention to and pre-planning for those cycles. But also I generally feel like every single day I wake up with like, I have to set my priorities and make choices for today um, so that there is some kind of balance. Well, it's important for everybody. I mean, as you mentioned, your family, for you, for your coworkers. But I like the idea, too, of kind of waking up and making those choices because we can you can have an overarching plan for the season. You can have an overarching plan for the week, but you wake up on Tuesday morning and everything is different. So I think having also the flexibility to kind of recalibrate a little bit on what the priorities for the day you know really are. So how have you seen over several years, because you were at the Jackie Robinson Foundation. So I still consider that part of sports and, and all of these things. Kind of how have you seen opportunities uh, grow and change for women in sports? And how do you feel we can still improve? So I think we have a long way to go, um, just looking at the number of women versus men. But I do think that we've had some significant improvement. I feel like for a number of reasons. Number one, I think that sports teams have put a new lens on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so they're really thinking about pipelines. They're thinking about hiring. They're thinking about professional development to frankly retain women. And I also think we've, we like literally have more women's sports teams. I mean, even when I think about LA and Angel City, right? We have this opportunity where we can see ourselves in the business a bit more. We can see ourselves in the sports a bit more. And I think that's really helpful. 
um, the increase in women in the leadership ranks or executive ranks across sports teams is honestly also tremendously helpful, whether that's on the baseball operations or basketball operations or football operations side, or it's in philanthropy, or it's on just the, the business side of things. That helps us to see ourselves in the business. And I think that's also helped bring more women to the business. Um, I think groups like Women in Sports and Entertainment nationally have helped women see themselves in the sports industry. Um, and so I think that there are things that are happening that are creating these intentional pipelines and intentional ways for us to see each other. Um, that's very, very helpful. I still feel, though, that while we, we, we have a lot of talk happening, we have to walk the walk a bit more. Um, we have to go and get what we say we want. Um, so that our our sports teams, our franchises, our front offices can look um, quite diverse when it comes to male versus women. I think that we bring something quite unique to the table um, that's really important, empathy in sports, um, and will be important moving forward. And that's a, a great word to use, but and a great phrase, empathy in sports. And I, I think as women... You know, in the past, I think we've sometimes looked at being a woman in sports is really hard or we're at a disadvantage, but I would love to get to a point and maybe today we just, we, you and I decide we get to that point, but we lean into it. And that is really, it's such a positive to be a woman in sports. We bring so much to the table and we don't have to be like our male counterparts. In fact, it's better if we're not, if we bring our unique and each of us women are unique, but our unique selves and empathy and points of view and perspectives, we don't need to be like our male counterparts. And, and I think that's something that it could just. Yeah, I, I most certainly grew into my authentic self years after being in my position. Um, I was definitely probably like most women, I need to be like them. So in the beginning, it was about sort of assimilating. It was about fitting in. It was about just being at the table and essentially adopting what everybody else was doing. Um, and I quickly came to realize that that's actually not what was going to work. That was not what was going to make me successful. Um, being my authentic self and bringing my own contributions and ideas and skills and traits and background, frankly, to the table are what I think brings the, the biggest success for me professionally. But it also helps, I think, generally on projects in the broader franchise in so many different ways. So. Kind of with that in mind, we're changing gears again, but talking mm -hmm. about your position and growing into your authentic self and all of these things, I'd love to have a day in the life of Nicole Whiteman. And it could be, you pick, you could pick the day. It could be, I don't know if your game day is one thing or the gala day or a weekend day, whatever you want it to be. Um, but I think it would just be fascinating to kind of hear what goes on in a day. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to pick today. This is pretty crazy right? Right. to give you a sense, right? I got up this morning. I get up pretty early in my house because I mentioned I have two sons. One is 18. He'll be 19 in the fall and he's off to college in August. And so we're preparing oh, for graduation wow. this weekend. So I've got a lot on the plate welcoming people in, in town. So I came off of congratulations. A Thank you. I came up of, off of a weekend of like preparing for Friday's graduation party and Saturday's um, Saturday's graduation. And this morning I wake up like, no, I got to shift to work. Right. And so seeing the boys off to school, seeing my husband off to work. Um, and then I jet to the stadium um, after getting an email about different COVID protocols that are happening at the stadium this week, because we're moving from low to medium risk. And so I'm updating the team on our, our communications devices, just about, Hey, this is how this week is going to work. This is what you need to think about all of that. I'm heading to the stadium because I actually had an interview um, that, that I was doing this morning in a suite. 
And so I did the interview specifically focused on the, the foundation and what we're doing and all of those things with our PR firm. Moved from that back home to work remotely simply because we're trying to keep a low profile at the stadium just with our pandemic and everything coming up. Um, got home and literally jumped out of the car to jump into my home office here to focus on um, Philip 66. So we had a corporate sponsor, Zoom, to really talk about a campaign, a co-fundraising campaign that's happening. Um, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So, so crazy stuff. We have a board meeting on Thursday. So immediately after that, jumped into meetings with my team, specifically focused on making sure that the board book is finalized to make sure that we are ready for Thursday's presentation, status updates. It's the last board meeting before the gala. So many different things to cover in like an hour and a half period's time. Um, and then I actually ended up going into a few more corporate partnership meetings. So really fundraising. Um, took a couple of phone calls around folks who want to support the gala. So explaining different sponsorship packages and going from there. Um, approved some check requests, frankly, for the team. And then I hopped on the Zoom to have an, an interview with you. When I get off of this Zoom, my executive leadership team meets. Um, and so I have three leaders of our programs, operations and development departments. And so we'll kind of close out the day um, meeting. Now, if today was a game day, I'd then probably be staying for like the first three innings because a lot of our donors um, and some of our partners from various parts of LA come to games and it's nice to actually have conversations, get some work done, um, and really build re real new relationships, frankly, when folks are at the stadium for the game. So it can be a tremendously crazy day. It's only Monday, which sounds insane, but no two days are exactly the same, but a lot of what I mentioned today is like happens in multiple days. And, it, you know, there's a part of being in L.A. that people that don't live here don't understand, but there's a traffic component to all of this. And it's yes. that could really that could mess with someone's day. And that, you know, people like to joke. I find it offensive, but people like to joke that Dodger fans come in the third inning and leave in the seventh, which is really not true. But if I get there in the third inning, that was not by choice. That's because something happened and I've been stuck in my car for two hours. And so that's just a whole part of all the things you just mentioned. I mean, there, that's like a whole part yeah. of this that yes. people this don't was necessarily a hybrid, This was a hybrid version that I was giving you. So, you know, on a normal day when these meetings um, often are happening in person, I do a lot of car meetings. You know, I do a lot of car phone conversations and meetings because that helps me check some things off of my list as I'm getting from one place to another, to your point, because we do spend a lot of time in the car. Yes, we do. Well, well kind of is what it is. But I always say on when I wake up and it's 75 and sunny in February, I'm like, well, this is why, but that's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. yeah. why there's so much traffic, but you know, for so many reasons. Yes. So uh, on a night game, I'm like, I better bring a jacket. It might be 60 degrees. It'll be cold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to freeze, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this has been so fun, Nicole, and Thank just you. so eye opening. And I just really do all bias aside, love what the foundation is doing. And it's amazing to get to see it up close. Uh, but I can't let you go yet because we have okay. to do five fun facts. And okay. everybody who listens to this podcast knows this is something I started doing with the Fortnite players. And mm -hmm. we do it on video and they like share five things about themselves. It's become a big part of the brand. And so on this podcast, we ask everybody the same five questions. And it's been awesome because we get such different answers from everybody. So if you're ready. I'm ready. This is really kind of my favorite part. What is your favorite moment in sports? 
So crazy enough, it's winning the 2020 World Series um, with the Dodgers and celebrating it in my living room, which I never thought was going to actually be the way I would answer that question. <laughs> but it was it during was the amazing. pandemic and I did not go to Texas and that's how it, it works itself out. <laughs> But gosh, what an exciting yes. night. It was amazing. Just thinking about it. It's military. <laughs> what is your life motto? A life is not important except in the impact it has in other lives. Jackie Robinson's been this guardian and angel for me in so many different ways throughout my life since college. And I, I live by that every single day. That is a fantastic life motto. What is your go-to workout for when you need to reset? <laughs> Run, walk on the strand in Manhattan Beach. That's it for oh, me. Oh, amazing. Yes. That sounds fabulous. Go to coffee order. So I don't drink coffee, which is like, people are like, oh my God, you don't drink coffee. You're not our first though. You're not our okay, first on this okay. podcast. And I have to say, every time I do this, I have this voice in my head say that says, go to coffee or tea order. And because I'm such a coffee drinker, it just comes out as go to coffee order. I drink do you drink tea? tea? Okay. I love black tea because of the caffeine. And I just love putting my kids' coffees order coffee orders in because then I feel like I sound fancy along with my, can I just have the black tea? <laughs> what is their fanciest order? So my youngest, who is 13, crazy enough, he gets a grande vanilla bean frappuccino, no whipped cream, caramel throughout. And I just have it memorized. I don't text them, call them if I want their orders at all. I just know. My older, I mean, crazy enough, is like the black eye kind of guy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But they, yeah, they drink coffee and their it. mom does it. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, and last but not least, a book every woman should read. I think um, The Memo by Minda Hartz. Um, it's actually a self-help book, a, a professional self-help book for women of color in the in the working industry. But I feel like every woman can read it. And frankly, every man can read it if they wanted to as well just to gain a different perspective of kind of like what women deal with in the workplace or how you can help um, support women in the workplace. That is awesome. I think a lot of men can read that. Yeah. Like we write these book and, books and we read them ourselves and that's great because I think we get best practices and tools from them. But sometimes if secretly some men actually read that on their own too, like I think we'd actually make great partners in the workspace. Well, and I think it, it's hard for men, and this is by no fault, but even the most evolved and supportive men, you can't really understand it if you haven't gone through it. Absolutely. So reading a book like that may may yes. really help. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. This was so fun. Um, and I'm just so excited about everything. Um, obviously, I clearly am a very excitable person, but I just I really am excited about this episode and, and all of the things you're doing to help the city. Uh, and the city is at a very interesting crossroads. Yes. So you know, it's organizations like yours that are so important to help us, you know, kind of get through some of these tougher times the city is dealing with. So much appreciated there. If you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online, And that's it for all my announcements. Nicole, thank you again. Thank you, Tracy. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.